0: We're with Dr. Pauline Leong this morning for Front Page. Dr. Pauline, thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Light Breakfast.
1: Yes, thank you for having me.
0: All right, let's get to our first article. Now, the minister in mm-hmm. the Prime Minister's department has revealed that if a snap election is called nationwide, it would mm-hmm. cost the government about 1.2 billion ringgit. So, would a snap election be the best interest of the right yet or the economy, especially during this? MCO recovery time?
1: Yeah, I think that the right, right now is really concerned about the impact of COVID-19 on health and economy. A lot of jobs have been lost and people are actually struggling you know, to find financially as well. So having a snap poll might cause a lot of uncertainty to the business sector, which needs stability to operate. Yeah, and I think also people are a bit fed up with the politicking. They want to, you know, basically concentrate on getting their feet back together, and and also because of all the politicking, they find that uh, maybe they're a bit turned off. So having a snap elections, they might in fact be turned off and may not even vote because they might find that their votes don't really matter. You know, so um, the focus is actually different right now. So a snap election might be very distracting, in my opinion. When would be the right time for this, though? I think that it's every five years, so I think that perhaps the right might want to just wait until the the next round. You know, because we are now having the Sabah elections, and in between we had a lot of by-elections as well. So I think that uh, maybe the right wants to just see it through, and then the next round, you know, in about two years' time, I think. So maybe in two years' time, we would have more or less stabilized, and um, you know, people might be more open to. You know, you have to have the elections in two years' time anyway. So we shall see in two years' time. And
0: apparently, because... uh, Why is it 1.2 billion? uh, It's because of all these SOPs that you have to be be put in place because of COVID-19, if we do have the snap polls at this moment in time. Yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah, But you know what? Even if we do this... We don't know how things are going to be eventually anyway. The SOPs might still be in place, right? So it might still cost the same amount of money. Uh, in fact, it might cost more than. <laughs> so you we may... don't know. But elections will cost... I mean, democracy is, is such that, you know, it will cost uh, some money. So it depends on whether you are going to bite the bullet then or now.
0: Now, let's talk about penguins and rats and how they're not exactly friends. <laughs> 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 Especially in Zoo Nagara. So with Zoo Nagara being such a popular tourist destination, would they actually benefit from... The government stepping in to assist with sort of like a revitalization project, maybe? Zoo Negara is
1: currently managed by an, an NGO, I believe, uh, Malaysian Zoological Society. So I think the government can step in to assist, provide a lot of expertise, and uh, but not to take over the operations. What they could do is maybe to have an advisory body. You know, with the government, they can connect with zoos overseas, you know, and get professional expertise and advice, you know. And they could also work with different ministries, you know, to help to you know, uh, improve the situation, you know, from not just from the maintenance, but also marketing as well. Mm. You know, we could look at, you know, maybe the zoo, uh, sorry, Singapore Zoo's uh, wildlife reserves. You know, they are self-funding, right? It was previously set up I know, as a part of the Singapore government, but it's now been given its uh, ability to run on its own, and it manages four zoos: Singapore Zoo, Night Safari, River Safari, and Jurong Bird Park. So that's one model we could think of you know, along that lines. But what Singapore <laughs> does is they get corporate sponsorship in, right? Didn't we uh, just get corporate sponsorship for Zoo Negara? Uh, I'm not sure. I didn't really follow all the everything yeah. about it, but I think maybe um, I'm not just uh, corporate sponsorship, but they also have programs like uh, you know, I think Singapore I uh, have friends of uh, the zoo. Yep. You know, uh, yeah. So they have more interesting like for example in uh, China right what they would have is online you know like a live stream of the animals all right yeah we heard about that yeah Yeah. so when you have uh, and not just that you know during the MCO period right there were a lot of zoos that also have live stream of their penguins live stream of the different animals so you know while you're locked down you look at these animals and this is actually marketing very good marketing because once the kids see these animals then they'll say hey mom and dad can we go and you know see the zoo negara animals after MCO so it creates a lot of buzz and excitement so this is one way of marketing which Um, could be done you know um, but I don't see happening in Malaysia
0: yeah the problem is this is not the one and only zoo that we have here in Malaysia Hmm. there are other zoos around the country and also like other uh, reserves and wetlands and all that 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 people Hmm. can enjoy seeing animals at a much closer proximity yeah yeah compared to the zoo. So there are lots of other options. So what can Zoo Negara do to sort of alleviate their st- status as like the first place people will go to to want to s- go see animals?
1: You need to create a lot of buzz marketing, I think. You need to have new programs that come out. Like in if you look at the wildlife reserves in, in Singapore, right? They had this arming. you know, they had breakfast with Orang orangutan. And that orangutan arming, right? It's Sumatran uh, orangutan and she was like a star, you know? She um, she had breakfast with celebrities that yeah, came yeah. in. So it's about marketing, yeah. right? So if you have a celebrity, a star, everybody want to come in there. So, you know, when we had our pandas come in, but that's it, you know, we don't hear any more publicity about them, right? It was just a one-off thing. So it must be sustained. So every. Every time you have a new animal or feature different animals of the month, for example. Yeah. So every month you have a different animal, you know. So, you know, you have people coming in and getting excited about the different animals. And it's also part of education. So we think of it as education, like having not just corporate sponsorships, but maybe partnering with uh, schools, you know, have a school program and people come in, you know, during school holidays. It's about thinking out of the box, uh, basically.
0: Now, in this article for uh, Malaysian employees, apparently flexi hours, work-life balance were the top reasons for their job. Satisfaction And salary levels was the leading cause of dissatisfaction at work. Now, we all know that the cost of living is increasing. But salaries, they don't move up that much in yeah. comparison. So, should the government look into increasing the minimum wage... To a figure maybe well over two thousand ringgit for everyone to be able to live comfortably, I guess.
1: The whole issue of minimum wage has been you know talked about a lot. I think recently, last year or this year, um, they increased it from one thousand one hundred to one thousand two hundred. Okay, of course, um, any talk about the minimum wage will cause concern to the business businesses because they are afraid that you know it might increase business operations costs. So I think that you know when it comes to discussion of minimum wage, right, we need to also talk about increased productivity if we can show to the businesses that increases in wage actually improves productivity right then they will be more open towards you know um, giving a more uh, having higher minimum wage yeah so there is this balancing act that has to be done you know when you talk about minimum wage I think that 2,000 ringgit might cause a heart attack to businesses <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I was looking through uh, I think Pakatan Harapan in their manifesto talked about 1,500 and even that there was a lot of debate right um, but I do understand that you know uh, cost of living is really high and 1200 actually especially if it's in a city area right it's really tough to live on so um, i'm not an economist and i'm not uh, in hr so um, this is something that uh, as a lay person i think that uh, there needs to be a discussion with the experts about this you know economic wise
0: but how can we improve productivity it's like a double-edged sword you don't increase the wage so people think (laughs) that oh i'm earning so little only i'm not gonna work as hard yeah But you know, how are you going to ask them to work harder so that you can get more money?
1: Uh, Maybe like uh, if they can invest in training or invest in, let's say, automation or something like that. So in other words, the skill level that is needed, right, improves, right? So if you, if the person upgrades and see that, okay, my job is going to be like, you know, um, I I need to improve myself. So if you give training, right, after the training, the person uh, improves the productivity, then, you know, you can give higher wages. So I'm not an expert in this. I think that upskilling is one thing. Upskilling will help to improve productivity. Yeah,
0: definitely. Now, uh, let's get to another article uh, for this second part. The HR minister is actually under fire from people, you know, online for his statement. But, I mean, in this COVID-19 times, isn't it true to have any job is better than to have no job at all? Do you agree with his statement, Pauline? I think that when you're
1: desperate, yeah, it would seem as though you would want to have any job. But my concern here is that will some people use this as a situation to exploit people? You know, I was on Facebook recently and I saw a post you know um, that there was some publisher who wanted to only pay like 8 to 12 ringgit per illustration so imagine if you're a graphic artist and you spend like a few, a week or so designing something and you only paid like 8 to 12 ringgit isn't that uh, undercharging for the creative effort put in so so in other words, you know, that like creative people, like the writers as well. You know, imagine you're being paid like two hundred for a thousand five hundred word or two thousand article, isn't it? Uh, undercharging you. So some people in that situation, I might as well not do it because it's really not worth the effort. So um, it really depends on so you know some person, you know. So in other words, we talk about minimum wage, right? You know, uh, we have to give credit for people for the efforts. You see, rather than exploit them. All
0: right, this next article is interesting. Two Perikatan national MPs today actually decried excessive logging activities in the country. And now one of the MPs even called for a total ban on logging for six months to preserve forests. I mean, will banning logging help solve our environmental problems? And it's only for six months. What difference would it make?
1: Yeah, I call you, Belle, you know, banning logging for six months, I don't think <laughs> will make much difference. It's just a stopgap, you know, it's like it's leaking and then we just stop it for a while and then it will, you know, leak again, you know. So I think it was just a, a statement to perhaps appease criticisms and deflect attention. For me, right, there has to be a sustainable, comprehensive plan, you know. Um, I think the UN talks about sustainable development. So I think that logging could be one of those things that could be under sustainable development and forest preservation. And I think that this also must be a change of mindset because we need to understand that the forest, the jungle itself is not just a resource to be exploited. It is also home. Home for many of the orang asli, orang asa, home for our animals as well. So we, just now we talk about Zoo Negara, right? You know, we don't want to come to one day where we only be able to see animals in zoos. We want to have animals also, biodiversity, etc. You know, it's very important in forests. So we need to also think of forests as not just timber, but forests contain a lot of, you know, ecosystem actually at the lungs of the world, of our lungs in that sense. So you know, there has to be a um, change of mindset. It's not to be just exploited alone for financial gain.
0: But I mean, in our developing world where timber is needed for a wide host of applications, like what are the alternatives to logging? Like how can we get our wood products without cutting down some trees you know
1: i think that a lot of trees have been cut already so there are you know like secondary forests so there could be reforestation like a growing tree so that you don't cut new ones but cut the ones that you have grown so that's one way the other alternatives that i went to search on yesterday was that you know sometimes we need pulp you know so there are things like bamboo flax and hemp and they have natural fibers to make pulp for paper so um we could uh, use alternatives try to find alternatives to our paper needs
0: Now, Russia became the first country in the world to register their COVID-19 vaccine as fit for mass consumption. This is after just two months of human trials. Now, there's been a constant race, right, to obtain this COVID-19 vaccine between various countries. Would it serve humanity better if all of these countries were just to collaborate and work on a proper vaccine together?
1: Of course, you know, it's good, you know, that we can collaborate but I think that's easier said than done because of the international politics, right? So each country has its own agenda, you know, and all of them have some sort of rivalry perhaps with each other and also the other thing is that some of their work that they do in their labs and in their uh, hospitals, you know, some of it might be confidential. So if you're actually collaborating, it means that you're allowing the other country to peek into your scientific and technical capabilities and some of them are worried, you know, that, okay, if they know what we're doing what happens to our security right so that's one point and the second point would be that intellectual property If everybody collaborates and it works who owns it who makes money from it how are they going to share profits what about the IP rights you know so it's very complicated so all this comes into play when they decide you know whether you know they want to work together because working together means I'm opening up you know what I have to you am I really to show you what I'm wearing
0: is it all about making money though this race I think that money
1: is a very important element because they are actually investing money into These clinical trials Etc So uh, size is not cheap So a lot of companies Spend a lot of money Making uh, vaccines Making medicines And not all medicines work So if it doesn't work The money is sort of Like gone down the drain So they were banking on this To make it work So that it would Allow them to uh, Have profits That they could fund For other research as well So money is a very important aspect When it comes to You know uh, Medicine and, and vaccines If there were to be Human trials to be done In Malaysia though I'm actually interested to be a guinea pig actually to see whether it would work. <laughs> would that be something that you would consider Dr. Pauline? Uh, I need to see what they plan to do. <laughs> but... I- <laughs> I do have a, a trust in our health ministry. They've been following quite strictly the protocols, yeah. you know. So, um, if they can show me exactly what they plan to do, etc., you know, why not? But it has to; they have to, you know, basically follow the standard ordering procedures, then follow the scientific, you know, methods. You know, so um, don't simply just you know uh, use people as guinea pig. They have to be proper uh, protocols that have to be followed.
0: Well, um, actually, Vladimir Putin, uh, Russia's president, actually said that it might be rolled out. This COVID nineteen vaccine might be rolled out as early as October. Now, if you were there in Russia, would you go and get this vaccine in October, as soon as it's released?
1: Uh, I'm not Russian, so I'm not going to go and get it. <laughs> <laughs> Very well answered. <laughs> uh, he did say that his daughter has uh, received it, I think. Yeah. And uh, you're quite confident if his daughter received it, but yeah, I'm not Russian.